0: You're right. If it's a good deal, then, you know, eventually you'll be at a place where I think you have to pick your investors because there's uh you bring the deal, there's going to be money that follows, right? So
1: Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host Sarah Larby.
2: Hey everybody, it's Sarah Larby, welcome back to another episode of Wish I Invest, and today we are going to be speaking with Scott Zanbergen, who is an active real estate investor in the Ontario region. He has some properties in Oshawa some in hamilton and then just recently purchased welland ontario as well so scott is a father of two girls and he is currently living in the town of georgetown and he's going to be sharing his success with you guys also some challenges how he's financed some of the properties some really interesting conversation about mortgage plus improvement options so if you don't know what that is definitely tune in or talk to your mortgage broker about it because it is a great option in order to have the bank loan you or give you back your renovation costs. Some similarities to the Burr strategy, which is definitely my favorite strategy. So we're going to be talking to Scott about that. And the other exciting thing is our So Right Club is rebranding itself and we are really really working on expanding our reach and creating some online content making sure that we're able to help the others that are not necessarily in southern Ontario so we've actually dropped the SO and we are just going to be the right club.com right is spelt R E I T E so it stands for real estate investing training and education club and so really really excited that is like one of the things that I've been working all throughout the summer with Alfonso and Daniel and Laurel but we've uh, come to 2018 now so we've got a website that is ready to launch like in the next week or two so right now we're just going into August so by I would say next week first week of august you guys will actually be getting our invitations on the website itself so really exciting and if you guys haven't been to Write club aka previously so right club events and you want to come as my free guest just send me an email and you can come and see how it is for your first time for free and you can either email me at sarah at sarah larby.com or you can go to my website sarah and then just go to the contacts me page and just ask to be my free guest for the events anyone that has not been there and hasn't attended yet, you're more than welcome to come. So that's, yeah, that's what's been going on. And other than that, I mean, I'm looking for another great deal and I'm looking for something potentially to do a burr with again, which is you buy a property, you renovate the property, rent out the property and refinance the property. So definitely something that I'd be interested in keeping as my next deal. The cottage is actually going really well. Like we, just to give you guys a little bit of an update on the cottage, we ended up diversifying a little bit aka wanted to get something a little bit more for us when it came to real estate and so we used our one of our properties we ended up refinancing and we used that money to pay down our cottage or actually to use as the down payment for the cottage and we decided to put on airbnb and to rent it out and it like actually got rented out the entire summer so really cool because you know that whole property should be able to sustain itself if we rent it for about you know 9 to 10 weeks throughout the year mostly I'm guessing it's gonna be in the summer it's going to actually be able to carry itself and we're not like looking to make a fortune off this cottage but it's nice to be able to say let's enjoy the long weekends and then the rest of the time we can rent it out and when it's not rented out we can go and enjoy it and it's a little bit of a nice relaxing place not necessarily in the city so yeah we're happy with that and finally the cottage is done, the flip is done, and at this time we are like just about to list it, so I usually like record my podcast like seven weeks prior, eight weeks prior to releasing them, so I'm sure by the time that you guys are hearing this podcast, it's probably already going to be sold, probably already going to be closed by the new, uh, new purchasers, and... Hopefully I've got something else to talk about, some new deals on the go. It's just important to always stay active. But you know, I'm a big believer in I'd rather buy nothing than buy horrible deals. But it's still important to keep looking because when you are gonna come across that great deal, you're gonna know it's a great deal because of all the due diligence. Like I probably write offers weekly. Most of them don't even get accepted because I lowball a lot of them. And but that's the life of an investor. I'm not here to compete with retail buyers. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So it's always, you know what I find is that in the fall and in the winter, it, it seems like it's easier to get deals because I mean, this might sound horrible, but I'd call it the triple D's. You get the deals because of the triple D's, unfortunately, right? But it is what it is. So you have a lot of divorces, a lot of debt, people in debt, that need to sell and death. And the reason I'm saying that is usually when people plan to sell, they'll probably plan to sell in the spring or in the summer when there's a lot of buyers out there shopping. So sometimes when people are selling after that time, which is actually when I've pretty much bought every single property except for like one or two, I think, you know, in the winter, people that sell, they may or may not have planned it so you are able to sometimes get in without having tons of other retail investors competing for the same deal not always but you know in the market that i was looking at that has been the case in the past so I'm looking forward to that colder weather only because of those deals. Otherwise, I'm not a winter person at all. So, but yeah, I mean, tell me when you guys buy your deals. You know, I'd be curious to hear what you think. And if there's a time during the year that works best. I know often people say, you know, between Christmas and New Year's is a great option. But I'd love to get some input. And see what you guys think. And if you would take a moment as well to give me a review on the iTunes podcast or whatever other way that you're listening to that, that would be awesome. And other than that, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm available, I'm accessible. I think that every single person that has emailed me, I have responded to. And whether it's a question, whether it's a call, whatever you guys need, I'm there to help support. So, feel free to reach out. And with that said, let's get on with our interview. Take care, guys. Hey, Scott, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. How are you, Sarah?
2: Good, good. Welcome to the podcast. Super happy to have you on.
0: Happy to be here.
2: Absolutely. So I want to know all about you. I know you've got some properties in the GTA. And when did you get started in real estate investing?
0: Well, I got started back in early 2014 is when I first, I would say, dipped a toe in the water. So yeah, so 2014, it's funny, I originally was looking into vacation rentals because I was thinking that was the place to start. So I was out scouting properties in the winter of 2014 up in the Blue Mountain area, thinking that, uh, hey, this would be a great idea, buy a nice Chalet that I could use myself on the weekends and rent out otherwise. So that kind of is where I got my mindset started, I think, and that uh, around real estate investing. Never ended up pulling the trigger on one of those properties, but instead that's what kind of got me on this track of thinking, hey, maybe there's a better way to do this. And the next thing you know, I'm starting to look at regular uh, single family homes and things like that. So yeah, that's how I got started.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's ways to make money in so many different types of real estate. But like you too, I mean, obviously, the cottage or the summer properties or the recreational properties are fun. But my advice is, I mean, I just got a recreational property. I got a cottage this past spring, but yeah. and it was because of the real estate that we bought prior that helped pay for that cottage. But I would say as a first investment, probably wise that you decided to go to the other route as well.
0: Yeah, that's not to say I'm not going to do what you did, get myself a good vacation spot somewhere. So that's still on the radar, but uh, haven't done it yet.
2: Yeah, I will say it's pretty nice. We're actually going up the cottage this weekend for the long weekend and we rent it in between. So like we're going to break even like it's not going to be a huge carrying cost regardless. But uh-huh. uh, you're not going to be making the same kind of money as you would if you just buy some, you know, simple, boring, <laughs> buy and hold <laughs> long term types of uh real estate. So yeah. I want to dig yeah. in a little bit to your portfolio and just sure. walk me you through your journey.
0: Sure. So let's see. Like I said, I started in 2014. Let me just back up a little bit, though, to tell you how I got to that, because I think I'm a bit of a late bloomer in terms of when I got started in real estate investing. So, you know, I worked the corporate life and still do, but, uh, you know, spent a lot of years. I would say it took me close to 20 years before I finally had that moment of, you know, enough's enough here. I got to stop investing all my money in, you know, garbage mutual funds and things like that. And then finally, you know, took action and jumped into real estate. And that's 2014. But I to this day kicked myself that it took me that long to get to that point. And uh, because I just think about, you know, I I think now look at all the younger folks that are starting in their mid 20s investing and thinking, wow, like I'm 45. So, you know, I I think how many years I lost if I would have started earlier. So that's something that bothers me to this day. But you know, onwards and upwards, I got to put that the past is the past. 2014, I jumped in. And, moved pretty fast from that point so i bought three single-family homes within the span of three months congratulations
2: that's actually a pretty big move in year one
0: yeah but you know what it's like i mean i think you're experiencing this too right you get a taste of it and you know everybody tells you that once you get into the world of real estate investing it almost becomes a bit of an addiction because you realize what it can do for you what it can do for growing wealth and i just didn't want to stop right so i did those first 3 houses within a 3 month period single families you know pretty decent experience and learned a lot through those first 3 because that was when you know, I was like, I'd never found a tenant on my own before. So I had to go through that process, posting on Kijiji, all those kinds of things. And you learn just a ton going through all those experiences on your own. And then I think what happened in my case is that, you know, a little bit of time passed after those initial three were done, we got them, you know, rented out and operational. And there were some bumps along the way that we were learning, like we had uh, one of the tenants turned out to be not so great. And then they ended up not paying rent for two or three months. And we ended up having to get rid of them. So there was some Learnings, But it was about a year after those first three that we then jumped into our fourth. So it took us some time, right? So it was like jumped out of the gates, like on fire, got those first three right away. And I felt the need to slow down to kind of catch up a little bit to the learning. And because now I was switching from acquisition mode to, oh boy, now I'm a landlord. What, right. what does this mean? And, uh, you know, some problems that come up once in a while. And so just kind of had to learn those ropes a little bit, which I did. And then, yeah, and then got into a fourth property about a year later. And so the first four that we did were all east of the GTA. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Bowmanville area, but like east of Oshawa. Yeah. So three properties in Bowmanville and the fourth one was actually right in Oshawa.
2: Okay. And these were single families?
0: Yeah. The first three, all single family. And then the fourth one was our first duplex. Yeah. And that one we did with a partner. So this was an individual I had met at a, I think it was the Durham real estate investing group that I was attending back then. And yeah, it was definitely the Durham REI group and met a gentleman there who's a contractor and an active investor specializing in vertical splits. His name is Ryan Carr. He's been on lots of podcasts. Yeah. Um, becoming a bit of a celebrity. And so we worked with him on um, on joint venturing on that fourth property, which, which was a duplex. And his model was really interesting because he's all about the vertical splits, right? So-
2: Yeah, so he, I wanna talk about that. So what is a vertical split? So
0: you a know, vertical split is exactly like it sounds like, right? So traditionally your, your duplexes are you know a, a tenant on the upper floor a tenant on the lower floor but what he specializes in is just cutting the house through the center right so and it, it works well for so this is the house we have in Oshawa is actually a two-story home not it's not a bungalow and it's essentially the main floor is split in half and then there are like two doors to the main floor and so your lower unit tenant essentially gets the half of the main floor and the basement and then your upper floor tenant gets the other half of the main floor plus upstairs and the reason why this is good is because it overall raised the rents a little bit because both tenants now have some of the main floor, meaning there's some more natural light, bigger like windows, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an interesting model. And he's gone on and done lots more of those, of the vertical stuff. So that was a, a good one. And it was particularly good for us because he brought the deal to us. He had found it off market. So you know, um, door knocking, what have you, found the deal, got it for a phenomenal price, low market value. I think we paid like 230,000 for it or something like that. We did a, a purchase plus improvement, mortgage on that, recouped a lot of the renovation costs as soon as the work was done. And then after that was done, we refinanced it, pulled out even more money. And so we, we, we ended up with you know not a whole lot of capital left in that deal, which is obviously the best case scenario, right? And then the cash flows phenomenally well. Now, of course, it's a joint venture, so we're splitting the money. But I mean, I look at that property today still think, well, that was a home run, right? Back in uh, that was 2015 when we did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's worth, like I said, we paid about 230 for it. It's probably in the 450 range right now. Um, that'd be worth, so you know, just amazing value. So you know, we have no intention of selling it. We're just gonna it just keeps cash flowing, right? So.
2: Awesome. I have a lot of questions about this deal, like two or three questions that just came up as you were talking. So because there's a lot of listeners that are still fairly new. So they're hearing a lot of these terms like mortgage plus improvements and joint venture. And I just want to dig a little bit into, first of all, mortgage plus improvement. Do you mind sharing what that is for those that might not know?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. In fact, I've done two more since that property, and I think I'm going to do all my future deals the same way because this is the best way to recoup a lot of your renovation costs. So essentially, what you do is you buy the house for, uh, in this case, uh, two hundred and thirty thousand. I could be off a little bit. I think it was two thirty $230 or two thirty-five. We then work with the contractor to say, what's it going to take to, you know, do whatever needs to be done. So let's say we're going to do a suite in the property. So quote comes back, maybe the quote is $50,000 or something like that. So you get this as an official quote. You go back to the lender and say, I'm buying this house, which, you know, I've got the, you've already approved me on the house for two thirty. Now I'd like to add on the the renovation component. Here's my quote. It's $50,000. They will come back to me and, and say, okay, we like what you're doing here because you're raising the appreciation of the property. And then they will say, they're going to give me a value, either the 50 or something right below. So usually they come in a little bit below what you're asking for. And in fact, I think the most they will get in my experience, most you can get in terms of the improvement portion of the mortgage is 60K. I don't know if people are there, have had more than that, but that's what I've seen. So in this case, I think we got 40 from the bank. So they essentially tack 40K onto the mortgage. Uh, So now you're mortgaging at a higher amount, which means your down payment is a higher amount, 20% of the higher amount, so that the purchase plus the improvement. You do the work. When the work is done, the bank sends an appraiser. They look at the original quote that you gave them and they essentially said, yeah, you did all these things. Check, 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 check. They go back to the bank. The bank then cuts you the check for the 40 grand, right? And then that covers a big component of your renovation costs. So, I mean, no brainer, right? Because now you're just amortizing that cost over the 30 years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to make sure that it's clear because some people might be confused about like the renovation money. It has to still come from the investor first before the bank pays it out. (laughs) And I think it's just important to make that differentiator because you're not just going to get money up front. That's why it's
0: so handy to have some liquidity, right? So it's handy to have a line of credit, a home equity line of credit, something that you can dip into because you're you're right. You're fronting the money to get the work done, right? Because the contractor needs to get paid. Like it might be a three month project to get this whole project done. So you're fronting the money as the job is going on and then count on a month after the project is done by the time the bank gets their paperwork sorted and the time you get your money back, right? So yeah, you're fronting it all up front and then getting a chunk of it back from the bank when it's all said and done.
2: Absolutely. And I just want to also point out there is a difference between doing a mortgage plus improvement and a Burr, right? So when you buy a property, you renovate, you refinance and rent and repeat. Can we just touch base on that briefly? Like what in your opinion is a reason that somebody would want to do the mortgage plus improvements rather than a Burr?
0: Well, actually I do both. I combine those two strategies. So in that same property, just sticking with this one for a minute, we did the burr, right? Because we bought it, we renovated it. I just happened to finance the renovation portion through the bank. But when it was all said and done, we refinanced it. Now we waited about, let's say, I think we waited three months after it was all done like the renovation was done. We got the money from the bank for that improvement portion. So we have the 40K back. Mm-hmm. And then we looked at what was going on in the neighborhood and the comps were kind of going up a bit, right? So we thought, well, what's the harm in spending the $400 on getting a, an appraisal done on the house, which we did. And the bank appraised it, I believe the number was 310,000, right? So we pulled out close to another 30,000 after the refinance. So that's essentially the burst strategy right there, right? So Absolutely. We, just, we just tacked in the, the purchase plus improvement in the middle of it. Bit, right. Absolutely. So, and when you can do that, I mean, that's like a home run in my opinion.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really similar. I think that the really, the only difference that I think, I mean, again, I'm not a mortgage broker, but I think is the reason that you would want to do a mortgage plus improvement is also because you don't necessarily have to wait a certain timeline and pay any fees. So if you get a mortgage, even if it's, if it's variable, you're still paying some fees to refinance. So is there any fees with a mortgage plus improvement?
0: No additional fees for that. No, but you're right. There are fees on the refinance component that happens afterwards, but just on the mortgage plus Im- or the purchase plus improvement part of it, no additional fees.
2: Okay. So I think that's, I, in my opinion, that would be one of the benefits. Not that the fees are a whole lot. Like if you guys are going to be doing a birth strategy or any of this stuff, my suggestion is that you go variable until you refinance your equity out.
0: Yes, absolutely. I always go variable and continue to on the latest properties that I've done as well.
2: Awesome. So I also want to talk to you about your joint venture and how you happened to find, Ryan, I think you mentioned the Durham REI, but you know, how did you guys have that discussion? What did you do? Did you incorporate? Like, can you walk us through the process? Because a lot of people are thinking, you know, okay, maybe I have two, three, four houses. How do I scale up? How did that happen for you?
0: Yeah, this is the case where essentially I was the money partner in this deal, right? And it's interesting because now, you know, here we are three years after that deal was done and... I'm now talking to partners where it's the opposite side, where, you know, I'm looking at being an active partner and bringing in money partners. But we look at that one specifically with Ryan. So, you know, this was a case of networking at a local real estate group. You know, I met him a couple of times. He spoke at the groups. I knew I could tell he knew what he was talking about he had a lot of expertise in this area. You know, working with the city of Oshawa to get uh, properties suited and all of that. So, to me, that just lended a lot of credibility, and I, I learned about him a little bit. And then, just you know, conversations came up, and then you know, one thing led to another. He eventually came to us with an opportunity and said, "I'm looking for investors," and I just jumped at it. I mean, some people might say. You know you're crazy. Didn't did you? How, you don't you hardly know the guy. That's kind of true, right? So maybe a bit of a risk, but I don't know. I tend to be the kind of individual that you know. I I maybe I'm too trusting sometimes. I get to know somebody. I meet them at a, a group two or three times. Seemed like a stand-up person, right? So I just jumped in and did it. So now we did do the legal paperwork, so we have a joint venture agreement between the two parties. This was not in a corporation. I mean, I think his component might be because he has a contracting business and all of that. But for myself, this was completely separate no corporations involved so we just did a separate document lining like you know the responsibilities of the partner so we have the money partner we have the active partner being him and you know he was gonna be property managing doing a lot of the the work and obviously he brought the deal in the first place right
2: and I think that's the important part I mean a lot of newbies and people that are you know somewhat experienced as well they wonder how they're gonna get a joint venture money partner but I will say like I will gladly go in if somebody brings me an awesome deal like it's got to be awesome You know, why wouldn't we? I mean, there's lots of investors and even I have a lot of investors coming to me and saying, hey, when you find something, if you find something awesome, let me know and I'll be your money partner. And I think, you know, if you have the deal, you're probably in a better spot than the person that has money because there is money to be found if you have a deal.
0: I 100% agree. I think you're right. If it's a good deal, then, you know, eventually you'll be at a place where I think you have to pick your investors because there's uh you bring the deal, there's going to be money that follows, right? So I, I'm actually, like I, I alluded to a minute ago, I'm starting to find myself now in that situation where, because I've continued on with my journey and doing some more investing and then word starts to get out a little bit, right? Now people kind of in my network have been reaching out and want to potentially, partner up, right? So, and that's without really even trying on my my part. Like just kind of happening. You know, I've been sharing some stuff on my social media, like here's what I'm up to. I just I did a video last weekend of a property that we're renovating out in Welland actually. And, you know, it's amazing that some some people come out of the woodwork and, "Hey, tell me more about that." Right? So,
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. And then the vertical split when and I don't know how involved you were with a vertical split, but when it came to permits and all that stuff, like how was it the same, similar as you would if you were just to do a like a basement unit?
0: Yeah, same situation. So it's still this in this case, the city of Oshawa, and because Ryan had done several of these already, I think you know has kind of built that reputation up with the city, and I think that helps a lot. But nothing really unique though from the standpoint of getting legal. Because, you know, I think in the year or so prior to this, Oshawa had changed some of the regulations and made it a little bit easier to get properties suited. So a lot of investors had been, this was, you know, 2014, 2015, a lot of investors were focused on buying Oshawa bungalows and putting those suites in. And then, you know, then Ryan came along and was starting to do this vertical suite strategy. And, but I think the city inspector said, hey, it still checks the boxes. You you know, the ceiling height still matters. You still need forms of egress from the basement, all those kinds of things. All those things still matter
2: okay awesome thank you and then so you went on to purchase property number five property number six were those uh just you or did you do some jvs on those
0: so yeah so so between property four and five um i switched jobs so started in with a new company and uh you know still in corporate life and so a couple of years went by where, where i did nothing and again here you know i talked to my story about earlier about how my, my first 20 years i'm like what a waste of time that was Now, I'm like, those two years went by. I'm like, I didn't do anything in two years. What is wrong with me? So, I'm like, being real super hard on myself, of course. Mm -hmm. So, finally got my act together, you know, after having some time in the new job and then kind of kicked myself in the pants and said, I need to start getting back out to some real estate networking events. And we'd also moved. So, we were living more like in the downtown area of Toronto at this time. And then we moved out to, we live in Georgetown now. So, kind of the other side of the GTA because my job was now in Mississauga, so I wanted to be closer to that. So got got networked in, in this side of the city, started going to some of the meetup groups in Oakville. And then I started going to the SoRight Right Club. I've, I've attended two or three of those meetings now as well, just to kind of get plugged into what's happening on this side of the city. And then so I met up with my new coach slash realtor who helped find my fifth property. And this one, I did have a JV on this one, but, but a a bit of a unique one because this was the kind of the strategy and this was a Hamilton house we bought. It's a bungalow, like a 1950s bungalow that a lot of investors are looking for, putting a legal suite in the basement. And because I was a little bit, I'd never gone through the process myself of managing a renovation. I decided to do a JV partnership on this one. Favored more towards me though, because I was the money partner and I wanted to be pretty hands-on. But I wanted to work with a partner that was gonna really take uh, run the process from you know A to Z and do the property management going forward and all of that. This one was went swimmingly well. So again, put the legal suite in. We did the mortgage plus improvement or purchase plus improvement again on this one, and I just refinanced this one as well in less than a year. That's another case where where we did the purchase plus improvement plus the burr and it's uh yeah, it's doing really well. So it's right now cash flowing over seven hundred dollars a month with a suite plus the main floor. So the basement plus the main floor. And yeah, it's great. And that one kind of opened my eyes to the opportunity that is in Hamilton, right? And so I know you're you invest a lot in Brantford and I know you're aware of what's going on in Hamilton. There's there's a lot of good opportunity on the west side of the GTA as I'm discovering, right? Like it's uh-huh. the St. Catharines and Brantford and Welland and so much opportunity here and you know the population's growing and the the go train lines are expanding and you know didn't really have any trouble finding suitable tenants for for that place uh you know it always takes maybe a month or two longer than you want it to you have to kind of be ready to carry it but you know you get we put the right tenants in and you know and then they just kind of start spitting off money for you right i call them my money trees
1: where should i invest with your host sarah larvey we'll be right back
2: Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily I actually met Dahlia at that point in time and Dahlia is actually an investor herself and she works with many many investors and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders and Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com. And then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at one 800 208 6255. Thanks for listening. And back to the show.
1: Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey.
2: Yeah, very cool. So how are you finding tenants? Are you trying to find them before your house closes? Are you um, doing anything beforehand? Are you waiting until the house closes to start advertising? How are you doing that right now?
0: So I, I love looking for tenants before the house closes, for sure. If it's turnkey, I'm all over that, right? So right. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward to property number six that I bought also in Hamilton. It was closer to a turnkey, beautiful main floor, recently renovated. That's a property that closed uh, just in May of this year, 2018. And I had it rented prior to May 1st. So basically I used my walkthroughs as part of the offer. So I, you, know, you get like three or four walkthroughs or whatever as part of your condition to buy and use those to bring tenants through or prospects through and had two or three really interested parties had you know i think with three applications for that one picked the right one and then he moved in literally the day after i closed on it because i said can you give Maybe one day just to make sure you know the place is tidy and whatever else. And so uh, that's what we did. So it worked out really well. And you know the amazing part about that by the way is so he gave me first and last month's rent before I even closed on the property. Mm-hmm. And then I signed the paperwork at the bank and the first mortgage payment didn't come out until it felt like like the first week of June or something. Like it it just seemed like a long time. And in the meantime I'm building up the bank account with the rent payment. Mm-hmm. So it had a nice buffer in there, right? So because yeah. you know, there were some maintenance little things I wanted to do with the property. So it's like, so you not. I didn't even have to go out of pocket to spend, you know, a $1,000. It was just the money was just sitting there right away. So that was amazing. I mean, I wish they were always that easy.
2: I know, right? Um, so it's funny, because this is for my turnkey properties, when I buy something, I mean, if it needs some minor work, we'll take a couple days and do that. But You know, that is the advice that I give as many people as possible. And you basically said my words book, you know, ask for three or four showings when you sign the contract for the purchase and sale agreement for the house and start screening your tenants as soon as you remove the conditions. Oftentimes, I mean, I've had my tenants, like you said, first and last in my pocket, in my bank account. And the key was given to them, you know, within that week, sometimes we want to paint, sometimes we want to do like just a couple things to freshen it up. But you know, there's no reason if you're not renovating to wait until you close on the property. And I can't say that enough. Like I think people sometimes wait until they actually have the property and then they start advertising. And then like, before you know it, two months are gone and you've lost two months of rent.
0: Yeah, I totally lo- love that strategy. Like, I was so keen to, because I knew this one was the main floor was just ready to go, right? Beautiful. And so the second I had the accepted offer on the house, I was I was already writing my ads. I didn't post it quite yet, but I was just like, when should I post? When should I post? Because mm-hmm. I wanted to start building up the funnel of, of leads, right? That I could start talking to. And and by the way, just so you're aware, and I, I don't otherwise, I'll say it now in case we don't get to it. I love Neighborly for screening my tenants. Great online service, just makes it so much easier. That was the first house that I did it for. So that was my sixth house, I think. So started using Neighborly. So I have a conversation with a prospective tenant and I'll just say to them, hey, I'm gonna need you to fill out an application. I just need your email address. You're gonna gonna get an email from a service called Neighborly and just go in, fill it out online. You know, just just go through follow the steps. It asks them all the questions about their work history, upload documents, upload pictures of their pets if they have any, like it asks for it all. Then as soon as they're done, Neighborly sends me the report and uses all these algorithms to say, whether or not they think this is going to be a good tenant. So it'll have things like, hey, on a scale of zero to 100, what's the likelihood this tenant's going to break their lease early? You know, 65. What's the credit score like? What's the likelihood they're going to do damage to your property? I don't know how they're figuring that stuff right. out, but <laughs> but uh, it's all in this really cool report they give you, right? And so I take that and then I take it a step further. So I'll then do my own due diligence. So I'll call their employer or I, I definitely creep them on LinkedIn and Facebook and that kind of stuff to see who they are and see what how much party animal they are or whatever right Um, so I do that work but then you take that coupled with the report you get from neighborly and you feel pretty good about the screening process
2: yeah that's really cool I've seen neighborly around and it's n-a-b-o-r-l-y you got it. Um, yeah. Just if you guys yeah. are typing it up, but it, you know, it is a really cool service. So I haven't personally used it myself, I think for, you know, potentially the next tenant or two. I mean, a lot of people speak very highly of the service. I mean, it's I, exactly like you said, I don't know how they do their algorithms, but I think there's a lot of research and a lot of studies and everything that go into that. And yeah. the other piece, and I'm glad that you said it is it's important that regardless of what the report says, you probably should yourself call the employers, call previous landlords, the past, past landlord and do your checks. As you would normally, I think it, you use it in conjunction with the stuff yep. that you would do yourself as well, and it just helps speed the, up the process, in my opinion. And you know, I don't think it's very expensive either. Like, how much was it?
0: Well, wait for it. It's free it's for free. you,
2: right? For you, but not for the tenant.
0: No, no, no. It's free for the tenant. It's really it's free for everybody. Yeah, this is what's awesome. So. I mean, they make their money. Well, first of all, they're a, they're a small startup, right? So they're right. a company based in Toronto. They are funded by venture capital. So they're in the mode of acquiring customers, right? So they're not, I don't think they're making a ton of money right now, but they have some stuff on the horizon. I saw them come to a to a real estate event. Within the last six months, they spoke at one of the ones in Oakville and they talked about their you know, their path to monetization and they're they're doing things like they're going to be selling tenant insurance, for example, because they're basically building a database of tenants up. Right. And so they're going to sell products to those tenants uh, over time, like an insurance would be one of them. So, but for me, just the, the time it has saved me has been phenomenal. So I think it's, it's a no brainer. Cause you think about the alternative, like what are you going to do, send somebody a PDF and have them fill it out and send it back to you or something. It just seems really, really antiquated. Right.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So for the tenants, how long does it take them to fill it out, you know?
0: Not long at all. I mean, it's, it's several steps. So I I went through it just to see what it would be like. Um, Mm -hmm. I had one person at one point say, Hey, that was hard. It was difficult. And I'm like, well, okay, well, because it asks you to have some, some of your documents ready, right? So it'll ask you for, I think, a pay statement or something, you know, the standard kind of stuff. Right. You have to be a little bit organized when you're going through the process that's just doing good due diligence on picking a tenant. So you, you should make them jump through that. And if they complain, I'm like, well, maybe you're not the tenant for me.
2: No, exactly. I mean, especially in Ontario. I mean, there is really very little risk that I want to take when it comes to screening tenants and picking the right ones because it, it is a lot. I mean, the LTB is geared towards, not really us, <laughs> yeah. it's geared towards the tenants. So the more due diligence that you can do, like this is the time that, you know, obviously you don't discriminate and make sure that you don't, um, discriminate on the things that you can't be discriminating on, but you know, make yeah. sure that you have some clear, concise guidelines and you stick to those. Don't bend the rules. Like you know, every single time that we've had a tenant and we're like, uh, you know, I feel like they should get a chance, and like maybe they've had a rough time or with us and that. Like we've always, we've never had to take a tenant to court, thank goodness. But you know, those were always the tenants that were like, we shouldn't have really done anything. And then luckily we were still able to get them out. And, you know, unfortunately like they broke up a couple, actually two couples that we weren't sure about ended up breaking up and moved. both moved out luckily, but it could have gone really bad. And those are the ones that were like, we want to give you guys a chance because we feel like you deserve a chance. And to be honest, like, I don't, you know, it's just going to be black and white moving forward.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I did the same thing. So first, the first, actually three, the first three properties, those three single family homes I was telling you about in Bowmanville, all three of the first tenants we had in there were not great right. because, you know, we, we did those in the first three months and you, as, as a newbie, you you get a little bit desperate too early almost, right? Like you're, we, we go to the house to, sh- to, to do the showings and you know you don't get an application the first time you're there you're like oh no and you start feeling a little sense of panic because oh my god i got to pay this the mortgage payment now and i'm not going to have a rent payment so then then i schedule another few showings for a couple of days later and i go there and then i feel like right so now i'm like oh this this person looks okay yeah there's some red flags, but I can look past those. Or sorry, I, I looked past the red flags and I shouldn't have mm-hmm. because that was the one I alluded to that um, they the very first house, they stopped paying, right? Or they were late a few times and they just completely stopped and then eventually left on their own. We did not have to go to LTB or anything like that, but we lost out on, I'd say, two months worth of rent from them. And then, and then we had to go in and do paint and all that kind of stuff. So the, anyways, the first three, we had situations similar to that. Um yeah, and, like and s- I I wouldn't make that mistake anymore. Now I'm like, nope, bar's <laughs> gonna stay high.
2: Yeah, like our situation wasn't anything bad. It's just like we have some just amazing tenants that are so great at communicating (laughs) some of them weren't on as good and like the ones we have you know we're happy with but yes of course like i would just say stick to you know if any red flags just pass on it and um and then the other thing i started doing in the last couple years that has really helped is i ran every single person's name through my paralegal so i have a paralegal that i have and literally when i buy a property or i'm getting new tenants I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of so and so and so and so and she's at the courtroom all days. <laughs> yeah. So yes, would be bad.
0: That's a brilliant strategy. I, I think I heard this on one of your other podcasts, and I, I actually wrote that down. So <laughs> I was like, I need to do that. <laughs> now I'm not as fortunate in that I, I my properties are spread across you know lots of different areas right now. I wish I wish they were all in one city, and, and then you know you have the that benefit of right. the paralegal knowing you know the professional tenants in town. But uh, that makes a ton of sense to me too. The other thing I was going to say that has worked for me is I like take one extra step. Like, you know, when you, when they first, you first meet them at the house, they like get to do the application. I always try to have, find an opportunity to go talk to them one more time, like an extra phone call, see if I can meet them in person. Because sometimes the second, the second time you meet them. I don't know, you might pick up something that you didn't the first time, raise the level of comfort I have with this tenant I'm putting, because it's my house, I'm putting a lot of money into buying that house. I want the best person in the house I because you know you got to think about the tenant is probably more important than the house itself, right? Because they're the ones paying for it. So it matters a lot. So like the last guy I put in my house, that beautiful turnkey one I had, I set up a separate meeting at a Starbucks so we could go you know, through the lease together and sign it. I could have done that over email, but it's like, no, no, no. I just want to make sure. I want to sit in front of this guy for another 20 minutes or so, half an hour, have a conversation and see if my initial instincts were correct. You know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. what I do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Some great tips for sure. That's awesome. So, so what's next for you? Like what's your next purchase or your next investment or your next, what are your big goals?
0: Well, we just
2: closed on one actually.
0: So our seventh closed, uh, two weeks ago now in Welland. Yeah. Thank you. So we're super excited about it. It's another bungalow. It's in Welland, pretty big main floor. It's like 1400 square feet or something like that. But the basement, just huge high ceilings and to me, that was like the the selling point, right? So basically um, conversion. Yeah, totally. And so we ourselves have been down at the house. We went on the weekends, my wife and I, to put a little bit of uh, our own sweat equity into this place. So, you know, we already got the contractor lined up. So it closed like literally a week and a half ago. So on the weekend we went in and we decided to Get started. So we ripped all the trim off, the doors off. Did a little bit of demolition, which was a ton of fun. But we, yeah, we spent a good 24 hours, maybe 30 hours at the house, and uh, getting it ready for the contractor construction crew to come in in the next week to begin uh, some cosmetic stuff on the main floor, and then a complete suite in the basement. So permitting is already in motion. All the floor, the drawings, and all that are done. So yeah, we're we're excited. This is going to be a good one. We got, I think we we got it at a pretty good value. Uh, and so we're doing the whole, hey, let's force appreci- appreciation by doing the suite. We'll do a refinance on this one. And and by the way, we also have a uh, purchase plus improvement already lined up. And we'll hopefully do another refinance within six months to a year after uh, after that's all done.
2: So is this with a joint venture?
0: No, nope, this is 100% um, myself and my wife.
2: Okay, awesome, awesome. So and then you're saying your, your crew. So are you getting the same crew that go from one property to the other? Or did you find a new one for Welland?
0: Same crew that we used the prior house, so it's not a new one. We so I I have kind of two two kind of main contacts I've been working with on this type of work now, and they have been great. And you know they specialize in working with investors, so you know don't really I don't really have to get involved too too much on picking you know colors of tiles and whatnot. But just like they just know what to do right and. They just fill me with confidence because I see the finished products they do. And, you know, they're generally going to get it done on budget and on time. And, you know, we might have a conversation about, you know, okay, do you want to go with the gray base tones or the taupe or whatever? And <laughs> that basic stuff. But after that, it's like, they just do it. They go to town, right?
2: Yeah, that's and, awesome. they probably have standard flooring, standard this, standard that just keeps yeah. it going.
0: And keeps the cost down, right? So they buy, you know, lots of bulk tile and flooring, laminate flooring, whatever it happens to be. They go do it. So
2: that's cool. How did you yeah, find them?
0: Through the network. So I, through my my realtor and coach is involved with the Rockstar Network, and so I I think yeah, she she put me in touch with this contractor, and um, yeah, and then so I've been I've been working with them ever since. And uh, one thing, one tip I would say here is that you know, whether it's with your contractor or any trades person you're dealing with, even a handyman, whatever, I always make it a priority to pay them immediately. Like when they send me their invoice, I don't wait on it for a day. I pay Absolutely. it that day.
2: 100%. That's so important. Like, I'm glad that you mentioned that, like the day of.
0: Yeah. If, you, if I'm actually, if they catch, I've got like, you know, half an hour on my hands, I'm just gonna do it right there i want them to feel like wow this guy's a good client (laughs) because i I, when i because when i call for the next one i want them to be you know clamoring over my business right i mean um and you know they work hard i want to make sure that they they know that i respect the work they do and the other thing that i try to do is when they send me their their quotes i mean i'll go through it and i'll have have a conversation about it but i'm not gonna nickel and dime them to death right Mm
2: because
0: at the end of the day it's i'm playing the long game here so You know, if it's going to cost me an extra five grand because they think I need to do whatever, I'm going to take their advice most of the time. And, but the more I do it, I think the more, the more I understand it. And that's kind of also why I wanted to go into the house myself this weekend and get involved in the demo. And the contractor came for the first little bit. We talked about what we were going to do. And I just, I just want to know enough to be dangerous, right? So that, um, I feel more confident in the work that's being done going forward.
2: Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's really awesome. And, you know, working with a good crew, working with good contractors, I mean, it really can make or break your whole experience when you're doing renovations, when you're doing flips, when you're doing the burr strategy. So, it is really important to find a good contractor. And referrals are probably my recommendation, like 99% of the time, get A contractor or a handyman or something from a referral. The rest of the time, I mean, there might be some sites or different things that you can do, but getting a referral from another investor or somebody that you trust that is currently doing the same thing that you want to do is gold. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And And then treat them
2: like gold. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, cool. So let's move on to our other segments of the podcast, which is called the lightning rounds. And essentially you're going to get the same five questions that everybody gets that come on the show and you are going to try and answer it within like 30 seconds to a minute. First answer that comes to your mind. Ready? Ready. Okay, awesome. So lightning round question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever?
0: Well, Rich Dad, of course, is the one that kind of got me started. So it's my favorite top of the list book. I've audiobook. I've listened to it probably three or four times now. Love it. I'm gonna do a plug for one other book that I recently listened to. Actually, I'm finishing up now, which I'm loving too. And it's the Julie Broad book, the the new brand you. Also a great read. But I'm only, only saying it because it's kind of fresh in my mind. But Rich Dad, top of the list.
2: Cool. You know what? I have to pick up Julie's book. I heard it was great as well.
0: Yeah, it's really good.
2: Number two, what's your favorite podcast?
0: Oh, favorite podcast. Um, I like a lot of podcasts. Uh, there's there's several that are focused on the GTA. Like there's Breakthrough REI. Guys in Oshawa do that one. Uh, I listen to The Truth About Real Estate Investing. I love the Your Life Your Terms show. And uh, and I recently started getting into the Bigger Pockets American one, which also is actually quite relevant for for Canada. I have a lot. I, I'm a, I'm a bit of an addict when it comes to podcasts. In fact, I like commuting because I can listen to podcasts.
2: Yeah, me too. You know, that's actually how I learned so much about real estate in so little amount of time. And it was actually the Bigger Pockets podcast that really drove me to be so passionate about it.
0: Yeah, it's a great one.
2: So number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate investing?
0: you know, hanging out with the family as much as I can. Um, I got two daughters that are rapidly growing up. They're now teenagers, if you can believe it. So I got a 15 year old daughter and a 17 year old daughter. Wow. Um, We try to hang out as much as we can. So carve out time on the weekends, you know, pool, whatever. Uh, And then we we love to get a get a good family vacation in at least uh, once a year.
2: Are your kids into real estate?
0: I'm trying so hard. In (laughs) fact, this is funny. We recently had to do a trip back from the Ottawa area. So my parents live out there. So we did a road trip out there two weekends ago. So on the drive there, I played Rich Dad, Poor Dad in the car for them to listen to. And of course, they were like rolling their eyes. But you know, I'm working (laughs) on them.
2: (laughs) Awesome. I wasn't into it until I was probably like 25. So (laughs) we still have time. Uh, Number four, if you lost all your money and assets tomorrow, how would you start again?
0: I would say I would save up, I would start, I would work hard, you know, find, make money, save money so that I could start again, right? But so to me, that might mean like if I didn't have even my principal residence, for example, I might look at, uh, you know, the way people say these days is house hacking. So find a way to drastically reduce my living expenses by renting out my basement uh, so I could essentially start living for free so that I could start placing, you know, my extra money into investments. I would probably do that. And that's what I wish I would have done in my 20s.
2: Okay. Great answer, number five. If somebody has fifty thousand dollars and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it?
0: I think it depends on how ambitious they are. First of all, I would say uh, you know either go invest it. I mean, because fifty k is a that's a down payment on us, you know a, some markets, right? Like you can go to London, Ontario, or Windsor, or something, and you can use that money right now. So if they're ambitious, I would go do it and learn by doing. If they're a little bit more apprehensive, then I would suggest working with a partner. And have the partner show them the ropes. So uh, you know, do like a mentoring relationship. But we're gonna we're gonna invest your money together, and I'm gonna teach you the process. I'm gonna show you how this works, introduce you to the network, and all of that. And I say that because I know a lot of times uh, I hear people that'll spend a lot of money on getting educated and seminars and things like that. I think that's good. Although I personally think you're gonna learn a lot more by doing. Just you know, learn by doing.
2: Very very true. Awesome. So that was our lightning round questions and. Just a couple other final questions before we wrap up. Where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more about you? Well, I'm not really, I don't have my own, like, I don't
0: have a website or anything. I'm kind of a a side hustler investor right now, but you can find me. I'm pretty Googleable. So you Google my name, Scott Zandbergen. My last name is spelled Z A N D B E R G E N. So check me out on, you'll see me on Facebook and LinkedIn and whatnot. Um, or just send me an email, My it's first initial, last name. So S-Z-A-N-D-B-E-R-G-E-N at gmail.com.
2: Okay, awesome. And any final last words of advice or anything else that you would like to let the listeners know?
0: I would say just take a step in the right direction, like right now. And what I mean by that is a baby step. So I know a lot of people in my own personal network, my colleagues at work, so many people when they learn that you know I this is what I kind of do on the side everybody wants to know about it but not very many people take a step like actually do something about it and so it could be something as simple as get a contact of a, for a mortgage broker because a lot of times that's where it's going to start so reach out to that mortgage broker schedule a conversation that's the baby step we're talking about just do something because that will propel you to the next step that's the way i kind of for me i have it written down like what's the next little thing i have to do right i have to call my bank to get the refi started or whatever whatever it is but there's it's just too easy to just do nothing and i think a lot of people do nothing so if you want to do it just start take a little step
2: there you go just start Thank you so much, Scott, for being on Where Should I Invest? I really, really appreciate your insights, your tips, and sharing your success with the listeners. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest? With your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest?